Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, folks. Dr. Tim Jordan here with another episode of Raising Daughters. Thanks so much for stopping by. And if you're the kind of parent who wants to be an influence and remain an influence in your daughter's life now and or forever, this is the right place to be. Uh, today, I've got an author that I'm going to interview, and it's one of the, the books, best books I've read in the last several years. I really enjoyed the book, and now we're going to get a chance today to meet the author, Meg Jay. The book I read is called Supernormal. The Untold Story of Adversity and Resilience, which is uh, an interest, which is a great title. Um, but I thought I would, I would, I'm going to introduce Meg Jay now. Meg, thanks so much for being on the show. Hi, Tim. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Yeah. The first thing I'd like to talk about just briefly, if it's okay, is I'm curious about how you got to where you are. I work with a lot of girls in middle school, high school, and college who are so stressed about finding their their calling and finding their path. And they right. think they should know all the answers. I'm just curious about how you got to where you are. But first tell us where you are. And then okay. How you got there. <laughs> then I'll work backwards. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm a clinical psychologist. And also what followed on that is I'm a narrative nonfiction writer. So I write books about my work. Um, I am currently in Charlottesville, Virginia in private practice and at the University of Virginia. And uh, before that, I got a PhD at UC Berkeley and before that, I went to undergrad at UVA, where I am again now. Um, so to your question, I did not know my whole life I wanted to be a psychologist. I wasn't born knowing that. I didn't grow up dying to be that. I actually maybe did the way it's, quote, supposed to go in that I went to college. I tried out a whole bunch of different courses. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And then one day it dawned on me that I loved all my psychology classes and I couldn't wait to do the readings and I did really well on the tests. And it, I realized, well, I guess that's saying something, maybe I should go into psychology or become a psychologist. So that was truly an aha moment that came out of going to college and trying out a bunch of different courses and seeing what really resonated for me. How about the writing part? Did you anticipate that when you were well, the writing part, I guess I would say when I was young, I loved reading. I loved writing. I would win these little writing contests. I mean, you know, little middle school writing contests. So there was definitely something in there. I think I was probably too practical to have ever said, you know, I know I'm going to get on a bus and go to New York and write the great American novel. That's not something I would have ever set out to do. But the writer in me, I think, was there all along. I just didn't really come back to it really until I felt like I had something to write about. And that wasn't until I got going in my career and had things I wanted to say. So you went from winning an award in middle school to having your your work appear in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Harvard Business Review, BBC. You've, you have a very uh, well-watched TED Talk. So you've, you've come a long way, baby. As I, I have, <laughs> <laughs> I have um, even though interestingly, I'm now back at UVA and I live 
on the same street that I lived as an undergrad. So I, I have and I haven't wow. come a long way, but, um, <laughs> but yes. Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you a few questions about your book. It's called Supernormal, The Untold Story of Adversity and Resilience. And uh, first, first of all, most kids go through adversity. I, I, I think sometimes parents don't, and people don't really um, understand that. that. It's not just a few kids who go through tough times. It's, it's most of us. Right. I think that's really important to understand that actually it's estimated that 75% of us uh, will have experienced at least one significant adversity by the age of 20. And so those, you know, those are going to range from whether it's alcoholism in the home or losing a parent through death or divorce or bullying at school or um, having a parent go to jail or having a sibling with a mental illness or a significant health problem. I mean, they really range, but if you look at kind of the 10 most common adversities, some of which I just mentioned, and you put those together, like I said, three quarters of kids and teens are going to grow up with at least one. And I think that's important um, to acknowledge because sometimes adversities leave people feeling sort of siloed or alienated of, oh, I'm the only one and other kids' lives aren't like this. But when we put the different adversities together, most people grow up with something, um, which was one reason why I wrote Supernormal the way that I did. It really spans all those adversities and says that there's really one story here and let's use it to bring people together. Yeah, and each chapter after the first couple of chapters is a certain kind of adversity, like you said, whether you've been through divorce or bullying or having a parent who is addicted, et cetera, et cetera, that each chapter then really goes into much more detail about the effect of those kinds of things on kids. And one of the things I think uh, I, I enjoyed about your book was you talked a lot about um, kids who have gone through things like abuse or uh, domestic violence, those sorts of things that, that uh, fear and chronic stress that those kids experience has a big effect on their brain development. Yeah, that's it. That's something really important for people to understand, which is actually something I think we can all relate to having gone through a year of the pandemic and the, the concept I'm getting to, it's called cumulative stress, or, you know, you might've heard of it as chronic stress, but cumulative stress is really about how chronic stress adds up over time. And so some people will say, well, okay, I had a parent who was an alcoholic, but it's not like I was in a war or it's not like, you know, I lived through a, you know, some sort of horrible natural disaster that they don't see themselves as having had this one earth shattering event in their life. But actually chronic stress, cumulative stress is about how it adds up over time. So if you're a bit stressed out day after day for one year or five years or seven years, your body's going to become overexposed to your stress hormones. And that has an impact on our brains and our bodies. And that's sort of how these quote unquote, you know, small T traumas or smaller stressors end up adding up over time. I think a lot of people have really experienced that this year with the pandemic, that even if you're kind of safe and sound at home and managed to be employed, it's been a stressful year and living that way day after day, after a year, 18 months, it starts to wear you down. The other thing, you know, I, I work with girls, I counsel girls in my camps, retreats, all those things. But a lot of times they'll, it, when they start talking about adversities that they've been through, whether it's like having a parent who hasn't been around for a long time, um, they'll act like it's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. And but, you know, it's more like they're numbed out. They're, they're so tired of having years of feeling sad or hurt or feeling like they're not good enough that they 
it's easier to say, I don't care. It's not that big a deal than it is to care and feel it. Yes, there's actually a lot of interesting research and stories that I tell in the book, um, both personal stories of clients, but also kind of well-known stories of more public stressors or traumas where the the first reaction when we're hit with a a, a kind of a, a stressor is to be in shock and just to want things to keep going on as normal. So I actually had a client in here, a, a mom, a couple of weeks ago, whose son had been beaten up on the playground. And his initial reaction was, I don't want to talk about it. I just want to forget about it. I just want to go back to everything the way it was before that that is what we tend to want to do. Um, so it's not unusual. I see mostly young adults in my office and it's not unusual for them to talk for the first time about those stressors they didn't want to talk about when they were 10 or 15. You go in your book in detail, by the way, the book is called Supernormal. It's by Meg J who we're talking to today. You talk about how harmful it is for kids. And I guess it's true for the young adults you work with, how harmful it is for them to keep secrets. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, so we know that um, it, it kind of goes along with what I was just talking about. Part of um, where secrets come from is often not this conscious effort to, I'm going to keep a secret and withhold this from another person as much as it is, I just don't want this to be happening. I want life to be normal. I don't even want to talk about this to myself. So secrets can be very complicated, but we know that the brain and the body has to kind of work to keep secrets, right? Because we have to be thinking about, what if someone knows my secret? What if I actually, you know, talk about or give away my secret? What if someone finds out my secret? And so there's been a lot of research around uh, people who have secrets or have kept certain experiences to themselves and kind of the stress levels that they're experiencing and kind of health and mental health problems. And then after they're able to talk about those secrets, you don't have to write a memoir and tell the whole world. You can talk to your you know, minister or teacher or parent or counselor or best friend, um, but that that actually reduces stress and strain on the, on the brain and the body, just getting that out, organizing it, putting it into words and no longer feeling like you have a secret that could come flying out at any time. Yeah. Right. I sit in circles I have for 30 years in retreats and camps with girls and they talk about life, things they've experienced. And I think one of the greatest gifts that they get is, I'm not the only one because yes. they all they all think they're the only one that's been yes. through these things. Exactly. And that's that's really where so the title of the book is super normal. And the reason I, I read that word, I was reading some old research about kids and adversity and resilience. And just somewhere in a paragraph, somebody said they're super normal. And I said, that's the that's the title of the book hmm. because I wanted to really flip the conversation from the way clients feel, which is I'm abnormal because this has happened to me versus what if you're super normal because you've gotten through it and to focus more on how did you get through it? How did you survive? How are you might thriving even, um, you know, despite or because of what's happened and to kind of help people shift from that I'm abnormal to maybe I'm super normal because you're right, that feeling if I'm different than everyone else, I'm not normal. It's very damaging over time to be having that conversation with yourself. I bet the other thing that, um, I don't remember right, uh, reading this in the book, but I'm sure you, this, this is true for your clients. I think that when they go through adversities and things happen, like that boy who got bullied in the playground or whatever, 
that the girls I work with all go inside their heads and they ask themselves questions like, why doesn't my dad call me? Why are my friends leaving me out? Why, why, why? And then unfortunately, they answer the questions with some pretty negative private logic that says things like, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. There's something wrong with me. I don't fit, blah, blah, blah. And that's probably also part of what super normal kids have to do is, is to reframe those beliefs. Otherwise, they, they carry those things with them into adulthood. Yes. So a big part of my work with people often is to find out what are the stories they've been telling themselves all these years? Because exactly like you said, they've woven some story and it's probably not quite accurate or, you know, may have some miscommunications or misunderstandings woven in there. And but if it if you don't share it with another person, it usually doesn't get edited, that it's just you repeating that story to yourself instead of someone else saying, well, gosh, I would, I don't necessarily see it that way. What if it's this, um, that that allows you to kind of critique your own story and to let it change over time? Yeah. You also talk in your book, Supernormal, about um, people, young kids or kids who go through adversity. And I see a lot of these girls who grow up quick because they had to. Mm -hmm. because they had to take care of themselves for lots of different reasons. And they, when I see them, like when they're in middle school, high school or, or beyond they they seem way more mature than their peers. And they, mm -hmm. they're very independent and all that. And they look good sometimes from the outside, they've learned ways to be a, you know, that super normal superhero, but every superhero has a kryptonite. And yeah. sometimes what people don't see is the stuff on the inside. Right, exactly. And that's often what brings people to my office that, you know, like I said, it's so great the work that you're doing because you're giving people a chance to maybe have these conversations with themselves and others earlier. I usually see people around 20 or 25 or 30. They've never talked to anyone else about whatever the adversity is before. They feel alone. They feel different. They feel damaged. Um, the story hasn't been able to be edited. And so a lot of that work is having that conversation and figuring out, you know, kind of changing it from what's been done to you to what have I done about it, but also being able to be seen, not just the straight A part of you or the part of you that, you know, people love to have over as a house guest or people think you're so responsible or so amazing. You know, a lot of these clients come in my office and they say, all day long, people tell me how amazing I am, but I don't feel that amazing. I'm exhausted. I'm depressed. I'm stressed. And so just to kind of bring all those pieces together in one place is really important. Yeah. Back in my training a hundred years ago, um, <laughs> my last year of training in Boston is with Dr. T. Barry Brazelton. And oh, um, nice. mm -hmm. he made me, he, he didn't make me, he, he had me read a book called Vulnerable but Invincible by Emmy Warner. Yes, yes, yes. Uh -huh. So I, re I read that book back in the 80s, but it was a book that had been written way earlier. And she had did a longitudinal study of, of some kids from very disadvantaged homes in the, I think it was the island of Kauai. Kauai, yes. But, but she mm -hmm. followed them for like 40-ish years. And there's been some, you know, re-editions or whatever of her book, but uh, she found some things that were common, uh, personality qualities that, that made people more resilient. Some of those kids, you know, you know, end up succumbing and had the same kind of experiences as their families and their, their parents. But some of the kids, quote unquote, made it through. And right. you talk about that also in your book, Supernormal, about what helps kids be, uh, be more resilient. Yes. And the good news is, is that it's not just one thing. You know, the, the United States, we love like, what's the one quality I can give my child that will guarantee success forever. And 
The good news is there isn't one quality because if think about it, if there was one quality and you didn't have it, you'd be in bad shape. So I, th I thought it was being on a club sport team. I'm sorry. So now it could be right. And that's the cool mm, thing. Is I don't that, know. Is that what we find out is that kids who kind of survive and thrive during and after adversity is it's, it's like superheroes that different ones have different strengths and you figure out what are my strengths? What can I develop and grab onto? So, you know, there are some commonalities in general, resilient people, they tend to be pretty scrappy or self-starting. There's some sort of determination there to get through or get on the other side or have life go better later than it did before. But other people have different strengths like, hey, I've got a great personality and people love to have me around and I can be at other people's houses rather than mine. Or maybe I do really well in school and I go to school and I get A's all day and that gets me off to a great college where you know, a whole new life is available. Maybe someone else is great in sports and that's what they do after school every day instead of go home to a place that doesn't feel so great and they get a lot of positive development there. So it's really about figuring out what are the strengths I have, kind of what are my super strengths and how do I develop those to offset, you know, maybe some of the, the stressors or deficiencies in my environment. Are you a Harry Potter fan? You know, I'm embarrassed to say I, I've never read the books, even though oh. I have children and they've read them, but um, okay. I'm aware. Yes. Well, there's a part in there uh, where Harry is trying to understand how he can make it through with all his adversity. And Professor Dumbledore, who is his, you know, mm -hmm. his mentor, says something to the effect of Harry, it's love love Harry that's the most important thing mm -hmm. and I think mm -hmm. there's lots of research that does show that if you have to have, if you have somebody in your corner that that's all that's a really important factor for resilience yes so you know as I was writing supernormal my editor my agent everybody said Meg just pick one just pick one and I kept <laughs> resisting it just formula. give me one but if you backed me into a corner and made me pick one, I would say, you know, you may not have it from the beginning, but somewhere along the way, not going through this alone makes a big difference that some studies have shown that it's not what you go through in life. It's whether you go through it alone or whether you feel like you're alone when you're going through it. And so a very common trajectory for uh, resilient kids and teens is that they kind of tap into their personal strengths early on. And then when they feel a little safer or they're in a different environment, they might be able to bring people into the fold who care about them, support them, love them, know what's happening. But the sooner we can have that happening, the better that if there's a neighbor, an aunt, a grandmother, a teacher, whoever, so that the person feels like they're not alone, that it literally reduces the stress and the stress hormones in our brains and our bodies. So it, it undoes some of kind of the, the cumulative stress that otherwise we'd be living with. Yeah. I find a lot of times that the girls I work with need permission to look for other family. Like mm. it may, it may not be your parents. I mean, I, I'm not saying your parents don't love you at some level, but they may not have it within them. So it's okay to look to your friend's parents. It's okay to look right. to a coach or a mentor. It's okay. I mean, you know, it's, they're not blood, but I, I heard growing up a, a million times, blood is thicker than water. Mm. But, mm -hmm. um, but I, but I found, I think that, you know, a lot of kids who do the best have done a good job of finding like a, a chosen family. 
Yeah. So there's a lot of research around that. Uh, It's called recruiting relationships where resilient kids tend to be good at finding one person or 10 people along the way that kind of do the jobs that parents or siblings aren't able to do. Um, and it's actually quite amazing that that's one of the fav- my favorite parts of working with clients with these histories. And I want to just tell the whole world this so they know that they will set the, 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 the morsels that have sustained them all of these years might've been that one weekend I spent at this one retreat when this one teacher said this one thing to me, and that mm-hmm. can lodge in someone's mind and keep them going for months or years at a time, or that one friend I had, or that one family I used to hang out with. So I think some people imagine, well, if I'm not adopted by a grandmother or I'm, I'm not, you know, completely allowed to, you know, have a new family that that's not going to work for me, but it's amazing sort of the, um, the scraps that people use to, to put it all together. And that's part of what being resilient is about, I think. Yeah. And I think, I think it's true that if you ask most adults about that, almost everybody has a story about, oh yeah, you know, I remember when I was in eighth grade or whatever. I think most of us have stories like that. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was going to say, have you ever read the book? There's a really good book called the right words at the right time. Have you ever read that book? No, but I I will. I love the title. The right words at the right time. There's, there's two part. there's two of them. I like the first one is it's Marlo Thomas, you know, remember Danny Uh Thomas and she's, she was an actress too. Um, she wrote the book. It's just stories. There's probably 50 stories, only like two or three pages each about the first book is about people you would know, you know, like right. you know, senators and actress and sports people. The second one is like just normal everyday people, but they have stories about, you know, they were stuck in some place. And then someone said the right words at the right time mm. and bam, they, you know, they jumped the tracks to a, you know, a different place. You'd like that book. I would. And it's interesting as a therapist, you know, I say a lot of words to people <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, people will come back a year later or three years later and say that remember that one time you said that one thing. And it's, it's so interesting. I couldn't even predict it, you know, what it is that I said that ended up being the right words at the right time. Of course, you know, as a psychologist, you like to imagine that you've got the perfect interpretation at the perfect yeah. time, at least once a session, but usually, you know, clients, young adults, that they, they know the words they need. And when they, they come along, they grab onto them. And it's really quite wonderful to be involved in that. Uh, we're talking with Meg Jay, the author of the book, Supernormal. Um, I have just a couple more questions. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but it, you said somewhere in the book, I think that girls tend to be hardier than boys when subjected to stresses and, uh, you know, family disadvantages. Mm-hmm. Can you, can you talk about that just for a minute? Yeah, it's interesting. And that's, that's really coming out of the research more than my opinion. But what um, developmental researchers have seen is that girls tend to be able to kind of develop those strengths. And maybe it's what we were talking about earlier, Tim, that in general, uh, girls are better at kind of creating networks and recruiting relationships and finding that friend or that aunt or that neighbor to kind of take them in and support them. Um, so that girls actually have better outcomes um, when exposed to developmental adversities or developmental traumas than boys in general. And I don't, I, again, I don't know if it's because they're more likely to sort of go to school and follow the rules and get praise or 
connect with others who would support them, but they're able to kind of grab on to more, I think, in their communities and their schools. And then that ends up offsetting whatever's going on, you know, maybe at home. You also cite research in your book that that says basically that it's not necessarily a bad thing when kids go through some of these big adversities because research has shown that people who have been through those kind of like mild to moderate adversities, mm-hmm. that they tend to end up being more adjusted, more successful, quote unquote, than people who haven't. Yeah. And you know what I really tried to do in, in Supernormal, and I'm, I'm very proud of Supernormal for this reason, it's not a whitewash of adversity resilience story. You're not going to read it and it's not all about glass half full versus glass half empty that I really show that, you know, being resilient is a struggle. It's not this sort of simple thing that you do to bounce back from adversities. However, people who manage to find their way through difficult times, um, they will probably see more difficult times in adulthood and having had those experiences and figured out, Hey, you know what? I'm strong and I know how to lean on other people or recruit other people, or I know how to you know, focus on my work or take care of myself when I need to, that, that that will end up serving you down the line, even though when you're young, it feels like quite a burden to bear. I, I think it's probably really important that, that as kids, young adults are going along their path, that it's important that they don't focus on the hardship. They don't focus on uh, the negative aspects of what's going on. That Instead, they that they start to step back and say, what did I learn? You know, how, how did I get through this? Who, yeah. who helped me get through? I mean, there's lessons to learn. I think a lot of times people don't take the time to do that. And I think most adults don't do personal growth. And I think they just kind of keep carrying on those patterns. Right. One of my favorite quotes, and I won't get it right exactly, but it's in Supernormal somewhere, Bessel van der Kolk, who's a you know renowned trauma expert, says something about, you know, it's not what you've been through, it's what you did about it, or it's how you got through it. And I think a big part of my work with clients is first hearing what they've been through and understanding it, but then helping them exactly like you said, shift the focus to how did you get through that? What did you do to get out of it? How did you get through day to day? And there often hasn't been conscious self-reflection around that. And people aren't giving themselves credit for all that they did to get through it. And they really don't see how super normal they are, that they come into my office feeling very abnormal. And a lot of the work is about, hey, to me, you're quite super normal. We're talking with Meg Jade. Uh, She's the author of a really good book, which I would recommend that all of you uh, read. It's called Super Normal, The Untold Story of Adversity and Resilience. Um, One last question I have for you. Uh, What's next? Uh, gosh, good question. I think I'm going to, I, as maybe you mentioned earlier, I have another book. Uh, it's called the defining decade. It's about 20 somethings. It's about being in your twenties. I think what's next is probably a book about adult mental health specifically that defining decades more about finding your way in life as a 20 something. But I think I want to do a book that's specifically about young adult mental health. Uh, yeah, let me know when it's out. I will. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on on the show and, and uh, giving our parents some information, and all, especially the, the the sense of how you look at kids, how kids can look at adversity. So it's not a, it's not a negative thing. It's a hopeful thing. It's a it's an awareness thing. There's there are things to do. There's things to focus on. I I really appreciate uh, what you talked about today and also the book. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And once I finish reading your, your first book about 20-somethings, I'm going to call you back and see if you can come on and talk about that one. I wouldn't miss it. I would love to. Okay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, that was great. I hope you all enjoyed that and got some ideas about uh, looking at adversity, maybe your own adversities when you were growing up. I think sometimes if we don't, as the adults, kind of take the time to process through our own stuff, that we tend to pass it on. You know, things become generational. And I think having that awareness, I would definitely read the book. It's a really well, well-written book, easy to read. It's not written for, you know, PhDs or whatever. It's written for us, us normal kind of people. So I would get the book Super Normal by Meg Jay. Um, if you enjoyed this, pass it on. If you think it'd be appropriate, you know, share it with your with your teenagers. Uh, if you have young adults in your home, it might be helpful as well, just to get a conversation started about the adversities that they may be going through. I'll be back here in a week with another podcast. I appreciate you uh, joining. Also, if you're interested in all the things that we do uh, uh, here at, uh, with my camps and my books and my all the things that I do, then just check our, our website at www.drtimjordan.com, like drtimjordan.com. And you'll find all that kind of information. Uh, and uh, I will see you back here in two weeks. Thanks so much for joining in. today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.